I'm Brittany McDowell, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Our Pack Politics Podcast. If you don't know, our podcast is brought to you by our organization, our United Resource Pack, which is indeed a tax exempt political organization. On today's show, we're going to be talking about deficits, some changes you need to know about, as well as the labor market. Everyone is pretty aware at this point that the government has been offering unprecedented support for not just businesses, but for consumers during the pandemic. And if you're listening to the conversation, you're starting to pick up on some frequent talk about how can't end emergency support for companies because that would be painful not just to the businesses but to the economy at large but i want you to observe how we're not hearing the same being said about withdrawing that same support from your average everyday americans the consumers in this free market equation we're going to talk about that and that's going to lead to kind of a conversation about how our government at this point whether some people like it or not our government is being put in a position where if it wants to do what's in its best interest you know for the interest of the the government and and its citizens it's going to have to boost social welfare and not just for companies. It's gonna have to boost social welfare for consumers, your average everyday American as well. And it's going to have to do it for some time. So we're gonna talk about that and uh, yeah, listen up. You're listening to another episode of Our Pack Politics Podcast. It's about that time for the next episode. What about the record high deficits? Uh, that we're hearing about, uh, that we're seeing as a result of COVID-19 economic stimulus. Um, Before we can, you know, kind of answer that question, almost comment, uh, we have to be on the same page um, about the fact that we have never seen the levels of support um, from the government, support for businesses, support for consumers, like we have seen during the COVID-19 pandemic. And anyone who tells you that we, as a result of that, are not dealing with fiscal deficits that are at an all-time high, they are either being disingenuous in, in that conversation with you, or they are flat out ignorant of that fact, right? Um, It's a fact, we can't get around it. Fiscal deficits are absolutely high, but you have to be aware that such high fiscal deficits are not unique to the United States, specifically during this time. We're seeing this all across the globe. So this is not something where, you know, America by its lonesome is out here, you know, with this big old bag of debt on its back. That's pretty much happening across the globe. Um, And another thing that 
people are either lying to you about or being disingenuous about is the fact that we are not done with accruing this debt, okay? Yes, we're coming out of the pandemic. Yes, the the, the sky is looking brighter. The clouds are going away, right? We're getting hold of this thing called COVID. But in terms of um, economic impact as a result of COVID, we are still projected to accrue debt as a result of COVID. And so again, if people are out there telling you, well, yeah, you know, we've accrued debt and you know, it's over with, no, they're lying. They are either lying because they don't know, or they are lying because they do not want to be genuine in that conversation with you. Um, the debt is, is it's it's continuing to accrue and it quite frankly it has to it cannot just stop right um i've mentioned before on this podcast we've talked about the dollar right we've talked about what the dollar is i didn't get into like this whole wonky conversation but i i have briefly mentioned how the reality of the dollar uh is that it is in and of itself debt. In order to literally create a dollar, you have to create debt, right? Debt and the dollar are created out of thin air as the current system has it set up. You know, we are no longer operating on that gold standard. We no longer really have a dollar that is backed by really much of anything other than the debt that is generated with it at the same time that those dollar dollar bills are magically created. So I want you to keep that kind of in the back of your mind as we kind of have this conversation around record debts due to COVID stimulus. But I also want you to keep in the back of your mind that <clears throat> wealth generation, anyone who has uh, generated wealth, not through maybe familial acquisition or, you know, you know, being like passed down or something. No, no, no. People who have literally generated wealth. Um, most of them will tell you that wealth generation actually requires debt. Um, we have a lot of Americans, uh, a lot of people who equate the debt of our nation to the debt of their personal family, right? My family can't have any debt and the American country does not need to have debt. We need to be debt free. Well, sir, ma'am, <laughs> respectfully, let me tell you that um, if, if our country intends to generate wealth, again, considering uh, the, uh, the creation of the dollar and the fact that debt comes along with its creation, that coupled with how wealth is generated, you cannot detach our country's wealth from debt. I mean, even think of, think about this logically. Um, I wish I had the numbers right here in front of me and I apologize for not having them. But when you think about the fact that, yes, we are dealing with all time highs of debt, you also, if you're being honest, if you're being genuine, have to recognize and admit that we are dealing simultaneously with record wealth. The two cannot be detached from each other. But again, 
we have people who are average everyday Americans thinking that the way in which they generate wealth is the same for this country. Think about this for a second. I've mentioned this before, that a lot of people, when we, when we started having this conversation around people getting back to work, right? And employers having a difficult time with finding, you know, employees. I've been very honest with you and 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 I've admitted that some people don't want to hear this, but literally the worst way to generate income for yourself is to trade your time for money. And for most people that is how they're an employee. They trade their time and their skills for money. People who generate wealth, right? They don't trade their time for money. They generate wealth in other ways. One of the main ways that wealth is generated in this country is through real estate, right? Most people who generate wealth through real estate use debt to do so, right? There is this idea that a lot of people don't know about because they've never kind of been in the lane to utilize this way of generating wealth. But there is this thing called good debt that does generate income and essentially pays for itself. So I'm saying that not to fuss. I'm saying that because, again, going back to this conversation around high deficits, we cannot act as if the country having a high deficit is the same as you having high balances on your Capital One or your Macy's, right? It's not the same. It is not the same because the wealth generated, excuse me, the the debt generated by the dollar, it one pays for itself, which your Capital One does not. uh, And on top of that, that debt in and of itself not only pays for itself, it generates wealth, which your Capital One debt does not. So we cannot have this false equivalency between my household that I have no debt and America needs no debt. We should be able... Sir, ma'am, you don't understand the dollar, right? You do not understand it. And so moving off of that, We have these people who say that we need to tighten the government purse strings. We've got to rein everything in, stop the unscrupulous spending because it is damaging to our country. That is not true. If we rein everything in this very moment, if we come to a screeching halt with the debt, with the spending in this moment, we will do more economic damage than we're even dealing with in this moment. We, we, we have to be honest that, again, considering what I said about some people saying, well, I don't have any debt and the country shouldn't have any either. There are some people who are just generally, again, either due to that logic or whatever other logic you want to kind of put on them, for whatever reason, there are some people who are opposed to government spending, government support at every turn. We could have a conversation about that, but we're not going to, right? Um, But we just are going to acknowledge that they are not just average everyday citizens. These are people who own businesses. These are people who influence policy. These are people, not all, but 
a lot of them are in positions of power and they use that power to perpetuate their idea of no support, no spending. But here's the deal. Had we not had policy support this past year plus on the scale that we did during the economic downturn due to COVID-19, we would be looking at an even worse economic picture than we are seeing in this moment. One of the things that you have to give credit to the last administration, to President Trump for, and, and you can talk about the reason, right? You can say, you know, oh, he was doing it genuinely to help people, or you can say, oh, he was doing it because he understood the political capital he would gain as a result of this. But consider the end of his administration when he was pushing for that $2,000 stimulus payment, and he had no Republican support for it. Again, you could make the argument as to why he did it, but if you were being honest, if you were being genuine, you have to understand that for whatever reason, you have to admit that for whatever reason, President Trump understood that if he did not attempt to do anything for whatever reason, that the economic downturn would be worse and that would fall on him. That's the truth. When we look at the, the global economy, since we're talking about, you know, various governments having deficits that are, that are to some out of control, they are most certainly at record highs. When we look at the government, the, excuse me, the, the, the governments across the globe, and we look at this kind of global recession that we're in, again, due to the pandemic, okay, um, There has to be a recognition and an understanding that we have to fall in line in real with reality across the globe. And the reality is that as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and recession, our global economy has been, is actively been, and will continue to be reshaped, okay? The landscape is, is changing and it's not just this temporary thing. We're gonna talk about this further on in this podcast episode today. We are going to see, we are in the midst of seeing permanent changes as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and the recession and all the economic kind of influences uh, associated with that. One of the things that some people don't want to hear, right, um, is that, again, yes, there's this increase in debt. We cannot, even though the debt is associated with the creation of the dollar, simply by how dollars are created, we do, considering other factors, uh, other economic factors, we do have to make some sort of attempt to rein down that debt. You cannot just have it go uncontrolled. You know, there does have to be some form of control, right? Checks and balances. And in doing that, we have to have an honest conversation about 
how, yes, taxpayers are going to have to help kind of put foot that bill. But we also, and here's something else other people don't want to hear, there is going to have to be an increase in, in the share of the burden on the part of businesses, right? The, the consumers cannot bear all of the weight of this newly created debt alone, okay? I'm proposing, you know, and, and, and we've heard conversations around um, an increase in capital gains tax. We also need to see the same with an increase in property taxes. And, you know, you, this, it's not just about sharing the responsibility of, of, of putting checks in place, sufficient checks in place for the debt, uh, but we have to start having this conversation, as you're seeing some people have, around issues of inequality. Now, I mentioned, I believe it was in the last podcast episode, or if it wasn't that one, it was the one before, sometime recently, <laughs> I talked about how, look, you know, yes, we're having conversations around inequality, but you cannot be the janitor of a company expecting to make on par with what the CEO makes, right? You cannot be a teacher, uh, a fourth grade teacher, expecting to make what the superintendent makes. You can't, you know, there there has to be some kind of, again, checks and balances, some rationale, right? We, this idea of uh, equal outcomes is absurd. It is absolutely absurd, right? Um, again, I use the example of someone who creates a business versus the employees. There's a lot of things that employees, frankly, don't understand the sacrifices that someone who starts a business makes. Of course, they don't do it by themselves, but you don't understand that they, you know, uh, put their personal financial health on the line for you to have a job. They took time away from their children. They kind of neglected other financial things to make sure you got paid when they didn't get paid for a while. There are so many different things, so many different nuances that again have to be considered around this conversation of uh, of of inequality, specifically economic and financial inequality. But again, we cannot be naive and start advocating for janitors, bus drivers, teachers to make exactly the same as a CEO, exactly the same as the superintendent. I will never support that. This organization will never support that. But again, that does not mean we don't need to have conversations around inequality. Um, and, and this is something else that people don't want to hear. Let's let's be very, very real right now. Um, the focus of this organization is giving people political power. And the average person has been so fooled for a very long time about what political power is and how you actually get it. Voting is important. I will never, ever, ever, ever tell you not to vote. But if you think that is the height of political power, if you think that is the greatest level of influence that you, even as an individual American, can have, you have been sold a bill of goods that is not worth the crap it's printed on to cash. If you want equality, you have to be willing to put your money where your mouth is. Your mouth means nothing, right? Uh, at a certain point in time in history, 
Uh, you could go out there and march and demand change. And you, if you didn't get all of what you wanted, you'd get some semblance of what you wanted. You'd have, you know, that would give you some sort of leverage. But in today's economy, in today's world, with today's populations, I'm sorry. It's it, it, the old guard just does not work, right? Um, when you look in this country at the people who have the most political power, are they out there marching in the streets, demanding change? Are, look, okay, and I'm going to say something on a very different issue, an issue we don't focus on to give you an example of what in the heck I'm talking about. <clears throat> this may offend some people. Oh, well, I don't care. I have to use this and I have to say this in order for some of you to understand what in the heck I'm talking about. Let's look at two groups, right? You have African-Americans who have for the longest time been dealing with um, inequalities, not just in the system, but just specifically looking at the um, physical abuses that they endure as a result of racism in this country, not just from perceived people in power like police, but just generally every day, right? You've had, um, for instance, anti-lynching bills in this country for decades that still have not been signed. You have that group of people. But then you have, on the other hand, Asian Americans, another group of people. They recently, as a result of COVID-19, they have just recently started dealing with um, violence against, very real violence against their community as a result of racism and hate due to like ill-informed people. Where am I going with this? African-Americans, and I'm saying this as an African-American woman, right? This is not someone kind of just like looking in, making a whole bunch of assumptions. <clears throat> African-Americans politically tend to be some of the most disorganized political people, right? Yeah, sometimes they'll get together in March and stuff like that, but they really don't have the same level of political organization. And even when they do have political organization, one of the very last things they even think about doing is using money in the same way that other groups do to get what they want politically. This is why, again, when you look at those two groups of people, African-Americans still, after all the police brutality, after all the racism, after all the violence against them, after all the decades of not getting any anti-lynching bills signed, right? They still do not have passage of any legislation to give them protection. But look in this very short amount of time, look at what Asian Americans were able to get. They were able to get legislation on the books to protect them from violence. What's the main difference? The Asian American community, in a lot of ways, think about it. Again, this, this is of something a lot of people don't want to hear, but hey, it is what it is. And if we're going to make real political impact, we have to talk about this. You don't see 
Now, you did see a few, you know, groups of Asian Americans and their supporters on the street marching, demanding change. But what you didn't see, what there was a lot of in the background was there was a lot of financial political influence, a.k.a. money and politics working on the back end to make sure that that community got what they wanted. Let's not even look at them. Look at the LGBTQ community. Think about where that community was specifically with rights 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and look at what where they are now. Look at where they are now. It's not because they're out in the street marching, having a million LGBTQ man march. It's because they are putting their money where their mouth is. They are running political ads against people that oppose their agenda. They are saying, look, we're going to pull our support if you, they make politicians say and prove that they are going to support their community before that community gives their support. But you have groups like the group I happen to belong to, the African-American community, where people will be lifelong Democrats. And again, we're not affiliated with any political uh, uh, organization. I'm just, again, having a very frank and real conversation that may be too real for some of you. But you have some people who are lifelong Democrats when, in a lot of ways, when you really look at what the African-American community has gotten in exchange for guaranteeing their vote, you have been duped. So I'm saying this, I know I went off on a tangent and I'm supposed to be talking about high deficits. But again, when we look at really making change on this issue of inequality, income inequality, which is very, very real, again, caveat, I'm not saying janitors are gonna be making what the, the, what the CEO will make. I will never advocate for that. You know, if, if you want to make more, you have to kind of take your station up in life. And luckily here in America, you have the ability to do that. Is it going to be easy? going to be a cakewalk? No. But real life says you've got to contend with some issues. Put your big boy panties on, big girl panties on, and do what you got to do to make it happen, right? But if in your current state, you think that things are in, in, in there's inequality that you're contending with, Moaning and complaining on the sidelines, just talking about it, posting up on Facebook and Twitter, doing the memes, you know, hell, even just calling and writing polish, yeah, that, that will help. But my friend, I'm saying all this to you to say that if you want to overcome any, in, in any arena, right, it could be the financial inequality, could be LGBTQ equality, could be sexism, whatever you think your issue is. The real way to make political impact is to use your money, your dollar, 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 dollar bills. Now, are you going to be able, like some of these millionaires and billionaires, you're going to be able to donate a million dollars to a campaign. No, you can't. But if you educate your circle enough about the issues and what's going on, and if you really get them to understand the connection between what is happening in their life and the policy that has taken place and how people are not working for them, and you really get them to be motivated to even just give up a coffee once a week 
right? To give $20 in a month to either a politician or an organization like ours who runs political ads to expose people, then if enough people are willing to do it, then the collective will see change. But until then, keep marching on the streets, keep beating drums talking about we demand change. But look, bro, nothing is going to happen until you put your money where your mouth is.